Welcome back once again to the D&D Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Merrills, and joining me is Rodney Thompson. Hello, everybody. We're here to talk about the third session of the streaming playtest of D&D Next. Um, so, and so usually the, the purpose of these episode is, episodes uh, is that we talk about what happened in the session and what we learned from it. So to put Rodney on the spot. <laughs> As we have yeah. for the last two. <laughs> so you should be ready by now. Well, there's only two of us, so it's yeah. hard for you to put anybody else That's on the true, spot. That's true, right? I could put Trevor on the spot, but he's just like, he's here to... <laughs> he doesn't have a microphone, yeah. so it'd be easy for him. He's here to actually work. Yes. So, yeah, we're just here to talk. So, like, what was your big takeaway from the session? Um, I don't know that I had a single big takeaway from this one. Uh, I think that it was a, a good example of the kind of things that we need to do to make, like, the larger set piece encounters work. Um, I, I actually... It was kind of interesting. The lead up to the session was that we didn't have a chance to take our rest, so we were depleted on some of our resources. I mean, we had a few healing spells got cast, and and we had a you know some of us had our resources, but others didn't. Right, and I thought it was an interesting sort of strategic choice point had been made for us going into the encounter that really changed the tone of it because if, you know if we'd had all our resources, that would have been a big difference. We weren't completely depleted though, yeah. and that, I think that's sort of the important thing is that. We all had a few things that, that either can't be depleted or that we still had a few left, like Greg had some spells, for example. So I feel like there were some strategic things leading up to it that changed the tone of the encounter, but then once we actually got into it, basically this one using the map and everything, tactical play was really, really important. I think that uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm obviously very focused on my own character, but I felt like for the most part I had plenty of things that I could do on a round-to-round basis, you know, using the cunning action and everything like that, that I felt like even very depleted like that, I felt really, I don't want to say useful because you'd have to ask everybody else how useful I was, but I really felt like I had a lot that I could do, um, but it wasn't it wasn't a, a pushover fight, if that makes sense. I have to admit that that session won me over to the one-hour rest. Mm. I have to admit I was kind of like, eh, one hour, it seems like a lot. Is that really practical like right. is it just frustrating but as a dm it really would have changed the adventure if you had decided to rest right and i actually really like that now like you know thinking back and the flow of it and mm-hmm. the game the um so it was kind of like on the fence about it but this really I, I do like that it made it a choice it wasn't automatic yeah now the the real trick with the one hour rest i think is that you can't necessarily tie all of our resources to it and yeah. I, I know that uh, the fighter, the more complex fighter, you know, we still have the idea of dice that you can spend to do to do special maneuvers. Um, we've talked about, like, should that be on the one-hour rest or not? And we kind of came down on the side of, no, this is something that you can maybe deplete over the course of the fight, but you can get back by, you know, spending just actions to get exactly. them back, right? So you get it back the, very quickly. Right. You get that back very quickly because that's sort of the core of what makes that fighter, like, fun to play, right? Well... Wait a second. You're not talking about anything though that Peter's fighter had. No, 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 no. The, because Peter basically does not have a fighter that has that expendable. Yeah, he doesn't resource, have. He doesn't right? have his maneuvers. Yeah. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't have an expendable resource. Yeah. So he didn't. He doesn't. He doesn't really play with that system. Yeah. Because right? he is neither a gladiator nor a swashbuckler. To drop some, you know. Yeah. Previews. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what's fun about being like a manager. Yeah, I can just. just yeah, you, can you know just what? Do that. I'm gonna do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> have to worry about we're how to say that. I just decided we're how to say that. Right, but but basically the the sort of thing with the one hour rest. Uh, I like it a lot as a DM because 
it takes away any sort of vagueness or question in my mind as to what's going to happen when the party rests, right? Because yeah. when it was like a 10-minute rest, which is what we've had up to this point, I was always asking myself this sort of question like, well, would it take the orcs that, like 10 minutes to get there? I don't know. It's kind of pushing it. Like maybe if they stop to rally. But like when it's an hour, when it's that big of an amount of time as a DM, I always either know, yes, they can get there or no, they can't. And, you know, it's it's very definitive. It is definitely ties into the greater trend in the design to make things bigger. Yeah. If you looked at our feats that we posted in Legends and Lore a couple weeks ago, and then like this concept of an hour rest rather than a five minute rest, we're trying we're making things generally bigger, turning up the volume. That's kind of the way we think of it, um, because that's I believe it's easier for DMs like you, you described. Right. Like as a DM for me, it's like if, yeah, I think it's a great point because we had said we're going to spend five minutes in the the guard chamber by the gate. It's a little harder for me to think what's going to happen. Right. But you say we want to spend an hour. Okay, I definitely know the orcs in here over in this area and the orcs on patrol and the orcs over here are definitely going to start doing X, Y, and Z and the people back in the room. You know, There were some things where like with a silence spell when you walked in, that was in place because the cleric had heard the explosion. Right. So she threw a silence spell mm-hmm. and they were ready for the fight. If they, they can, like 10 minutes had gone by and nothing had happened, like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. But an hour, okay, I definitely know the spell's gone, the cleric has assumed, whatever happened, who the attackers have left, or they're hiding, mm-hmm. and so that would have been a much different progression yeah. for the adventure. And so trying to make things bigger makes them so there's less nuance in how you have to think of things, especially on the fly. Right. And so it's time you can think on, on the player end, you're getting a bigger choice, so it's more meaningful. And on the DM end, you're getting a more easily distinguished, like, well, if they rest, here's what happens. If they don't rest, here's what happens. The bigger the difference between those two, I think the easier it is for you to grasp it in your head, what's happening. Yeah, I think it's really important because we are building a game that we hope will be easier to improvise with, yeah. right? I think it's really important to make it so that there aren't a lot of vague situations where you can't easily make a call one way or the other, exactly. right? And I mean, it's going to be unavoidable that there will always be some situations where you have to stop and think for a few seconds, right? But the the longer rest, I think that's a, it's a better tool in the DM's toolbox for regulating the flow of the adventure. And I think, you know, strategic play can often be kind of a challenge for a DM to run, right? I mean, thinking about sort of the long-term implications of the player's actions can be a challenge sometimes, and this is an area where we can make it easier. The balancing act, I think, is on the player side of things, making sure that the the longer rest is a choice you're making that doesn't give you that sort of feel bad. Well, now I just suck in this combat because yeah. I, you know, I didn't do that right. Like exactly. everyone's got, if if you still got some interesting choices to make, even when you don't take the rest, I think that's better. Right? And that's probably a worry I have with the monk is once the monk is out of uh, key. Yeah. Is there still enough there that the monk can feel like a monk by doing, you know, acrobatic things or doing a flurry? Now, James was basically twip and fighting, but that's a little, to me, that's like not quite iconic enough or obvious enough, I think. Like, so I think that's might be something we'll, we'll look at the, but then again, as a DM, I didn't feel that like, oh, James's character is noticeably like useless or anything like that. He just, it's just something we'll, we'll have to think about, right? Yeah. and, And I think you can, you can still have, you know, those expendable resources that don't come back unless you take the short rest if you've got enough else going on yeah. that that is still interesting. Like for my rogue, for example, I don't have a lot of expendable resources except for, you know, hit dice to heal with, right? But I've got that cunning action that means that, you know, no matter what, I'm I've got some fun, interesting things to do. I I don't feel like, you know, okay, like I, I think hit dice being a thing that you spend to recover during a short rest, I feel like that's right because 
the choice you're making there is do we you know risk going and hurt or do we you know take the rest and then risk being interrupted that's okay but it's not like the choice between do i have fun next time and don't i right it's yeah it's more of a what kind of challenge and risk do we want to accept yeah the um so i think a good way to think of it would be like let's take the monk for example right if we found out through playtest the monk after expending all the monk's key was not mm-hmm. interesting enough we might, like, a, a good example might be the way wizards now, you know, with their at-will spells, right. you know, like they have, you know, like from 4th edition, basically, they, their cantrips. The, um, we might say, okay, a monk can, you, let's, I'll, I'm just going to make something up. A monk can walk on the ceiling if you spend a key point. But if you don't spend a key point, you can still walk on a wall or something like right. that, right? Where it's like, okay, you can still get some basic functionality. Like, yeah. you're still acting the way you should. It's just when you spend a resource, you're going above and beyond. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we don't have a wizard cantrip that uh, attacks more than one creature, correct? Like right. we said is, hey, a wizard can zap somebody, but if you want to zap somebody's, then you're expending a spell. Right. Yeah, there's a resource there you have to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that's uh, definitely sort of the right direction. The other thing with the monk too is that we are you know we still have to come down on where we want the how many key points do you have right? Because it you know I think James had three that he could spend at the time, yeah. and it just so happens that the particular build of the monk that he's playing, the particular type of monk he's playing, the uh, I think it's called the Way of the Open Hand. That is the one of the the monk uh, types that can spend all three of his key points on his flurry of blows at that level, yeah. right? And normally you can only spend two, but because you're the awesome martial arts guy, you get to spend three if you want to. So as you gain levels, you get more key points, and it could be that we just need to adjust the number of key points that you get so that, yeah, you can spend two or three key points in a fight and feel good and still have a few left over yeah. so that, you know, when you do take that short rest, it's not more like, no, I'm getting a larger number back, right? So, uh, again, there are a lot of knobs that we can turn to make sure that we're getting that satisfying experience out without necessarily having to say, no, okay, it has to it has to be this way or it has to be the yeah. other way, right? Like, we have... There are some nuances there to to creating the good play experience beyond just okay. Well, I guess you just get them all back, or or the other way around, saying no, you don't get them unless you yeah. take the rest. We saw feedback um, very like over a year ago now, mm-hmm. beginning of the play test about um, wizards along those lines. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, I think I don't know if this was a public play test or this is an, an alpha list play test, but I think at one point we had wizards without at will spells, or you could opt into them. And the overwhelming feedback was, if you're playing a wizard, people would rather feel like they can cast spells all the right. time. You know, you, you know, there's that sense of the power up, but like, you, rather than pulling out a crossbow, you just, I feel like I'm a wizard, I'm really playing a wizard if I'm still like throwing bolts of fire and stuff at people. Yeah. The, um, and I think that's kind of the, a similar thing too, just making sure you always feel like you are playing your character, you're not like shut down because you decided to like use your abilities. Right. Um, one thing that surprised me, um, and I guess it's like, I don't know if this is good or bad. <laughs> I was surprised at how long the fight took. Yeah, but, well, but, no, we were we were intentionally playing a little slower for the benefit of the audience. Like, I yeah. know that on my turn, I would stop and explain things a little bit more. That's true. Things, because yeah. I, 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 we got a lot of feedback after the first two live streams. People were like, this is interesting, but it's hard for me to follow along sometimes because I don't know what you're doing. So on the third one, I intentionally tried to slow it down and say, okay, I'm going to go over here and do this thing, and I'm yeah. using this ability. So... A little bit of it. I don't say a lot of it, but a little bit of it was that that the nature of the live stream. I have to admit, I didn't notice the time going by, which I think is a good sign that it wasn't yeah. like I was bored or anything. But I was just like, wow, that was the, that fight. Well, there was some. It wasn't quite two hours because more like an hour and a half. We got started a little. We later. did get started late. <laughs> but the um, 
But yeah, I was. So I guess I'm not sure what to make of it yet. If it's just we had fifth level characters. I'm sorry, fifth level characters. There's also was a lot um, going on in the fight. I mean, yeah, it was really... so I, I was thinking about that uh, during the session, and I realized what you effectively did, you created a set piece fight, effectively, right? Like we go in, there's some bad guys there, and there's a lot of variables, and then another bad guy came in at the end, right? But one of the things that you did when you created the, like, okay, the tapestry card and the, the braziers and the, you know, what was the other one? The altar, right? The altar, yeah. What you effectively did there was you created uh, terrain powers, like the terrain powers from the DMG2 in 4th edition, right? They were basically, here are things out there that you can interact with. And I think that because those were there, we wanted to interact yes. with oh, them. Yes, oh, that was by design. And, and, and when we want to interact with those things more, it complicates things. Yeah. And, and not in the bad way, right? Like, it complicates things in a good and interesting way because what you did was you said, okay... Do you want to do cool things? Here are some cool things that you can do, yeah. right, that I'm just going to throw out there as, a, as an option, right? I think that works great, especially in, like, the set-piece fight or any fight where you're, like, using the grid. I know that, you know, a lot of people that, that play 4th edition, one of the things they really like is the sort of dynamic environment nature of the, the combat, right? And I think that that's something that the, what we saw in that playtest incorporated some of those elements in, in a way that it was like, okay, if you want to play with these toys, you can. Yeah, and in some ways, the fight going long was by design. Yeah. Because it was like, okay, this is... Because um, for those who don't know, the um, adventure, there are two dungeon levels, and it was written for the originally for a tournament, um, the 1980 or 1981 D&D Open at Gen Con. And um, the idea was that each adventure has two halves uh, that are kind of not separate adventures, but were meant to be played in four mm-hmm. blocks. So actually, when you look at the adventure as a whole... Um, the fight the week before with the exploding cannon went long, but it also that was like three or four fights combined into one. Right. The orcs went and grabbed yeah, we, we basically drew them in from, from yeah. far away. So I didn't feel that was too long. But if you think about it, we played three sessions, really playing for about an hour, hour and a half during each each um, you know game. Considering we kind of had an intro and people were making were playing fifth level characters cold. Right. So we got in about a four or four and a half hour session, and that felt right. Like if you were to say, "Hey, here's this dungeon. It's got about 18, 19 locations. Yeah. Here's your mission. Here's your setup." Because it wasn't. I mean, the tournament starts with like you're just you're literally right outside the door. Right. Uh, a, a secret door. The secret door with the trap. The party found right, right. in the second session, and then you go in. That felt pretty reasonable, like including maybe the half hour, 45 minutes setup. That felt pretty good. Sure. Well, I mean, it was actually longer than you think before we got into the dungeon in that first session, right? So I, I think that the, the overall playtime of the adventure was about right. The fight itself, you know, even though we, we played for an hour and a half, I think the turns were moving fast enough that, like, I, I never got, like, bored. I was always, I always had just enough time to sort of figure out what am I going to do on my next turn, and I felt like, I mean, the, the time between turns was pretty low. I mean, yeah. you figure four players plus the DM, if everybody is taking a one-minute turn, for example, yeah. right? That means that every round, and the DM probably takes a little bit longer, right? It means every round is going to be in the neighborhood of the six to ten-minute range, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not surprised if we went... 10 rounds. Yeah, that's the nice thing about recording the games is once it's up on YouTube, because uh, I use a tablet at home that doesn't right. have a flash on it, I'm gonna, I, I want to watch right. and uh, count the number of rounds we go through. Yeah, once it's up on YouTube, Trevor. <laughs> but the it does, it makes me pretty, it, it made me pretty happy, though, that I was able to go into this thinking, kind of putting on, like, my set piece, like, fourth edition or third edition DMs mm-hmm. hat and go, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to make a cool fight. Yeah. Adding that index card thing, which I've seen other games have done, right? yeah, and yeah. it's just a very straightforward, like, hey, just do this to remind people. Because 
personally as a DM, I always found, found it kind of frustrating when I would put terrain powers and stuff into encounters. It's hard for the players to remember them. Right. Because when you're looking at the map, like... I think a great example is the map of the the Temple of the Prismatic Flame, one of the first poster maps we did mm -hmm. for third edition, and I think it it got reprinted in one of the map collections right. we did last year. It's this really cool looking map. There's a lot of stuff on it, and sometimes you forget like what's important. Like there's a lot of cool stuff on it. And yeah. It's like oh, this all looks awesome. What button do I press? Yeah, right. I think it can overwhelm people and just become noise. Yeah. And so I liked having those cards there, and it's very interesting because when I. I used to play a lot of miniatures games. Mm -hmm. So when I think tactical combat, I'm like, oh, like like a miniatures game, like flanking and, you know, all these like grand strategic moves and all this other stuff. Other people, other D&D players will say you know, tactical combat and they have a very different conception of right. it. Like the teamwork, like our friend Derek would think more, no, that means more like my character, like I, I can look at the board and think, oh, I should walk over here because it's a combo I can set up and things like that. Right. It's not traditional like wargaming tactics, mm -hmm. but it's definitely like a teamwork tactic right. thing. Team tactics or squad-based tactics. Exactly, is what say. Yeah. yeah. So I think one of the things that I want to try to do is to say, hey, if you really like using your miniatures, you like your grid, you like your set piece battles, this is a formula we can give you to essentially, without having to like force your players to make like powers-based characters. Right. Um, this is how you can do it. Right. Give, provide the, the powers to your players. Right. Right. And one of the things too about the, the cards that I put up there, they were not like, oh, activate the uh, brazier to do X. It was more just like, it was kind of the flame cannon. Just give it a little stat block. Said, hey, here are things players can do to it. Right. So the players went to knock it over. I could just remind myself, oh, here's how much damage the fire does. Mm -hmm. Here's how it spreads. And here's how you can knock it around. Yeah. So it was nice for me, but it also, there was a lot of flexibility. Like someone could have picked up one of the braziers and like, done something else with, like, I'm going to pick right. it up and use it to ward off the troll or right. things like right. that. Now, the troll's mechanics didn't say he was afraid of fire, but I decided that this this, this troll specifically was afraid of fire, and so he well, would, and also because he was kind of a slave, he wasn't going to, like, risk yeah. taking fire damage because he didn't really like these people. They they shrunk him and trapped him in a treasure chest. Yeah. Uh, he's basically been captured, right. kind of like a slave. Yes, um, as we discovered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, That's kind of why he was left in the back. Like, the original module doesn't go into the details, but I'm like, okay, he's kind of left in the back there because... You know, he he will bust out and attack the nearest person, which will probably be the characters, but it didn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. So things like that. Yeah, I think one of the things you know we talk about the, uh, debriefing from the session. I was like, I, I felt like I had a good handle on the rogue, so I didn't really. I was like, okay, I know know what I need to do here. But thinking about the DM side of the screen, I was immediately seeing like, okay, these are things that we need to make sure we include in the game to make it easier to run that kind of encounter, right? Like, I, I think that the uh, terrain powers as like, you know, player powers thing is, is a really great way to look at it because it's basically saying, okay, here are some, here are some ways you DM can encourage this sort of tactical play exactly. in a very visible way that's easy for, for players to grasp, you know, in play. So, you know, definitely want to talk about things like how to create those and how to manage those. I also think that there's sort of the, the invisible power, which is improvising. And so yeah. more tools to help with that improvising, I think, are going to be really important, yeah. right? Both on player and, and DM side of things, too. The um, that's where things like when you think about the style of DM you are. So the inspiration mechanic right. we just talked about it to, and today's Monday, so I guess like it goes up like nine p.m. Pacific time um, on, nice. on Sundays. But um, that's one of the things where I see the inspiration mechanic coming in. Where if you're the DM who like you like your set piece encounters, like that's what is your style. Mm -hmm. You know, I could see a DM saying, "Hey, whenever you, I'm going to put these cards out or these interesting pieces of terrain." You always have advantage on attempts to improvise. If you do anything with these cards, 
I'm going to give you advantage because that's how why I like. That's when I'm going to reward inspiration, right. as opposed to the more theatric DM who's like talked in character or like let's you know that's the drama and it's the storytelling. That's what we're really into. Right. That's where I'm going to really be rewarding it. You know, using that as a way for the DM, in addition to XP rewards, giving you this very tactical reward that you can use to drive the round around yeah. action. Because I think one of the things with XP is that it's good as a strategic reward. Like, hey, my campaign is about restoring the rightful ruler mm. of the kingdom. So every time you guys complete an adventure that brings you closer, that's when I'm going to give you XP. Right. And inspiration kind of comes in as the round-to-round, round, like, oh, that was a cool thing you just did, or that was funny, or, or whatever whatever your group's preference is. Yeah. It's giving DMs the tools, like the cards, like this other stuff we've shown. I really want people, when they're playing D&D, when the, when the game finally comes out, whenever it comes out, <laughs> the... Um, Feeling that DMing is really like an art form, not in the sense that someone's going to like, oh, let's put DMs in like a, a museum and you know, all this other <laughs> stuff. But the sense of it's like, a, or like a craft might be a good way to think yeah. of it. It's something where everyone has their approach. You know, whether you're, you know, it's like all these hobbies we have, like building models or painting miniatures or building terrain for your, your miniature war games or building cool 3D set pieces for your D&D mm-hmm. game, you know, things like that. These all inform us like what kind of DM you are. And I think that the game really should encourage you as a DM to think, how do I run my games? Right. What's my style? And everyone has different styles and different approaches, and that's really kind of what we want to be able to do. And what I hope kind of came through in the three sessions we ran was we kind of showed off some different styles of DMing. Mm-hmm. That the first one was kind of like kind of backstory heavy, and it's more like, why are we doing this? And it's more like learning about the world. A lot of exploration. Yeah, a lot of exploration. The second one kind of had a little bit more like the, hey, imp- improvisation in combat mm-hmm. and kind of like wacky stuff kind of going on. Right. And the third one was much more like now it's more, it's the tactical challenge where this cleric and she's got all their spells and right. there's like all these different terrain things. And we have our grid out and things like that. The um, really trying to drive home that I think a lot of DMs, you know, it's like the old joke when you ask someone like, what music do you like? Well, I like everything, but you know, and there's always two genres like, like right. I don't like country or reggae or whatever like that. But everyone, most people like a wide range of music. Right. I think most DMs default to like, they like all the different ways to run sure. games. But still having that sense of your style. You know, if like I am really this one particular type of way of doing things, that's mm-hmm. how I like to do it. Or for this session, here's how we're going to do it. Right. Yeah, because it's going to vary. Like I can see it varying from group to group too. Right? Exactly. Like I'm going to DM a group that, you know, a group of players here at Wizards of the Coast differently than I would DM my buddies from back home in Tennessee. Right. Yeah. And not necessarily because, oh, professionals play differently, but more I know the individuals here and I know the individuals, you know, back home. And I know that they just they have different play preferences, right? So like even within a an individual DM style, you're gonna improvise, you know, or or you're gonna play differently, group to group, session to session. I think I think that having the tools there is the most important part, and basically being able to make it easy to do. You want to run tactical. Here's here's what you need. Here's how you can make this happen. I think you know we're talking about improvising earlier. One of the big challenges you run into with improvising is. If improvising isn't at least as good, like if the the thing the benefit you can get out of improvising isn't at least as good as just all the stuff in your character sheet, you should just you know swing your sword and then move on, right? Yeah. And so finding ways to basically do what we did in the Slave Lords uh, session, where it was basically like, okay, you want to improvise? Cool. Here are the things that can happen. 
normally your uh, cleric isn't going to be casting fireball, but you can shove the card over there into the orcs, and yeah. it's basically like a fireball, right? We got a better, we, we got an improved benefit out of improvising because it's something we couldn't necessarily do before, yeah. right? And I think that's like another important aspect of it that like, okay, if you're going to reward people, reward them, yeah. right? Not, it shouldn't just be a lateral move as like, well, I could swing my sword or do this other thing that's exactly like swinging my sword, right? Yeah. Like, Make it a reward, make it an improvement. I think that both the flaming cannon session and then this last session showed that there were things that we could not have done without improvising that that really paid off for us. Yeah. Like keeping a troll at bay with a flaming tapestry. I, I don't have any, like there are no rogue tricks that are like, you know, troll repellent. Yeah. Although I'm writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> but and a lot of that comes down to that's the style we adopted, right? Yeah. Like you could imagine other groups that they don't want the, the improvisation because you could easily imagine a group or a DM who's like, what I like to do is like, I want to work within the rules and find ways within the system yeah. to do the interesting thing or to find the combo or to overcome this challenge, you know, and it's more that kind of like pit fight, you know, who can, you know, who's, you know, matching my abilities against your abilities. Right. And that's that's a different way to DM and that's yeah. that that's that's also an interesting way to DM, right? It can be it's just as fun. Yeah. The uh, and I think that's the important thing is those options and that really D&D as a game is not complete until you add the DM. Yeah. Until the D, it's until the DM starts running the game, it's not a game, it's just a manual of rules. Right. And without the DM, you have no game. Yeah. The um and I think that's just role-playing games require that game master dungeon master role. I think that's what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. The uh, and I think the more you take away from like, well, we don't really need a DM to do this. I don't know if you're really dealing with a role playing game at that that point. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's yeah. no one gets you know if you think of a, a bidding game versus a worker placement game, no one gets upset that you know there's different ways to make games. But I, I definitely think it, it falls sort of outside of D and D's purview. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to say, yeah, it's not a role-playing game yet, but I think that the D&D especially, given yeah. its history, and, and I mean, D&D is more than just a single game. It, it is a, it's a lifestyle in a way. It's a genre. Like, we sort of all know what D&D is because yeah. it's, it's more than just a hobby for a lot of us. It's our career or it's a thing that we're enthusiastic about, right? So yeah. I, I think that the, the biggest takeaway from all the stuff you just said for me is that we need to have all these options in place so that you can pick and choose what you want. I think that what we don't want to do, the danger we run that we have to watch out for, and I don't think it's a huge danger, is we don't want to say you got to use this piece to have fun, right? So, for example, if we said, you know, no, you have to use this whole terrain cards element to have a good time, eh, I think we'd be doing it wrong. Exactly. Because there's going to be people out there that... They love improvisation, but they don't want to handhold their players. Or, or right? combat, and that's okay. Yeah. Or to them, their group combat is not the interesting part. Right. You can imagine someone putting the cards out there. The, the reminders of like you know you're talking with the the guildmaster and you just put a couple cards up that represent the guildmaster's you know known traits. Right. You know temper or you know yeah. you know lost his family at sea just to remind the players. Sure. Right. It's really all it is. So you know oh yeah you guys either learn this stuff or whatever. I'm just gonna use it as a reminder. Well, we did something like that in my in my Tuesday night game that you play in when we had the big uh, the big war council meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And I handed out all the sheets, and as you guys gathered information, you were able to peel back the. I basically had tape covering up uh, information on the character sheets, but then you had those reminders there, and you yeah. could say like, okay, we want to go talk to the, you know, the Lord Mayor of Iron Gate. And you could pass the sheet over and like, okay, I want to go talk to this guy. What do we know about him? Oh, okay, he's like this, right? That yeah. was a DM tool that I used because I knew it was a very complex situation. I knew that you guys had met all these NPCs, but you know, there were effectively seven major NPCs you had to interact with at a single time. Yeah. 
I use those tools, but I don't use those tools every session. Yeah. Right. And I, like, if you were to say like, okay, every time you have an NPC, <laughs> make sure you have a handout with a yeah. color portrait and a bunch of tape covering yeah. up knowledge DCs, right? Like, no, exactly. I would go be like, okay, well, I'm done with this game. Exactly. But I liked having the option. Like, right? yeah. I liked having that in my my back pocket to run with. Yeah. What's well, a combat? This the last week we decided to use miniatures in a grid. Mm-hmm. We didn't need that for every fight. Right. The um yeah, so I think keeping those options open and making you know, giving DMs the ability to pick what's important to them, what's mm-hmm. important for this campaign, I think that's what makes D and D what it is. And I think encouraging that creativity. I mean, that's why D and D is still important after almost thirty nine years, right? right? It's because when you look around, so many creative people have been inspired by D and D. Because it was essentially that was their they're training for how to be creative. Right. You know, like it's your first chance to to create a world, to build these stories and scenarios and then share them with other people. The yeah. um I mean, I remember as a kid being very feeling that sense of pride, but when I was running a campaign and the players would be asking in school, like, when are we gonna play again? You know, yeah. things like that. Like you felt cool. It's kind of the first time as you know, I imagine if you like, if you're in, in scouting or if you play sports, is a similar thing. Of the first time, like you know, I remember the first time I scored a basket in basketball in a right. game, right? You feel kind of hey, I can do this, right? Yeah. The, uh, it, but I think you don't really necessarily have that for the creative end of things sure. as much. It's not as I mean, it's hard to get recognition when you're when you're younger like that or when you're first starting out. I think that one of the 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 best things that we can do for our game, for our hobby, uh, et cetera, is make it easier to have those moments, right? Yeah. Make it easier, and we've talked about this for years, right? Making it easier to step into the DM's chair is is one of our highest goals because the moment you make that transition from player to DM, I think it not only makes you you know more invested, but it also, like, there is a sense of reward. Like, this reason I, why I am never not DMing because there's a sense of reward you feel from... You know, putting that creativity out there and just from entertaining your friends yeah. and making sure everybody has a good time, right? The easier we can make that and the easier we can make it for you to put your own stamp on it, I think that that is the, like the best path. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that's actually interesting. So uh, for the next session, mm-hmm. have we figured out what we're going to do yet? I don't think... We, uh, we haven't solved it yet. I think we're probably going to swap up at least DMs and possibly yeah. players as well. But uh, And I don't know if Trevor is going to edit this next part out. So if there's a moment of silence, you'll know what happened. But uh, I know we've got a couple of uh, board game live streams coming up. And so it'll probably be after Gen Con, if I had my guess, before we have our, our next live stream. But stay tuned to the Wizards of the Coast website yeah, to find see. out more. The um, actually that'd be pretty interesting. I was thinking about trying to find like a first time DM mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, would you mind to, your to first put DM? under the lights? Yeah, <laughs> put under the lights and run a one or two hour session as your first time, and just so you can kind of say, like, hey, here's what it's like to DM. Never before DM'd, played. I mean, that would be kind of right, great. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm gonna just watch someone read the rules for two hours. Have you DM. heard of Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. but never played? Well, come be a dungeon master. Yeah, hey, guy off the street. So. Yeah, a guy staying at the hotel next door who's making right. his way to the bus stop. Like, why don't you come and play some D and D? The DM. Gonna, that's gonna be your biggest challenge: is finding someone in this building that has not DM. I think it's easier than you think. Maybe. I think there's a couple of groups that are running that have people who are playing for the first time. That's true. And if we could lure one of them into DMing for the first time, it would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The. Um, Cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Do you have any more points you want to make about the session? No, I, I think that by the time we got to that third session, we sort of identified a lot of the rough patches, and then I think this was this was a great example of 
finding things in our game that we need to highlight more. Yeah. Because I, I think that a lot of the things that you did are things that we've sort of always intended would be a part of the game. Like, okay, running with a grid and terrain powers and stuff like that. We just haven't had a chance to highlight it up to this yeah. point. So it was more like, oh, these things were good. We should do more of them. Yeah. Because I basically, I just ran the combat with the grid and just using our existing combat system. Yeah. There was, I mean, other than the the braziers and just noting down what happens mm -hmm. when you mess with them, mm -hmm. I was just using our straight up combat system. Yeah. So. And it was tense. I mean, I was at one hit point for a large portion of the fight. Yeah, which... it was, it, there was a point where I think it could have really <laughs> swung around. It, admittedly, I made a poor decision because I got overconfident and I was like, oh, I can totally evade these guys' attacks. And then turns out I couldn't. That was one thing that made me happy too, was running a... NPC cleric and the NPC fighters, the half orcs for fighters, mm -hmm. that using the simplest builds made them very easy to manage the DM. Yeah, I, and you know, I imagine that a lot of that was just like, okay, this is an orc, and it, yeah, it's a fighter, but there's there's not a lot of like, I'm sure you didn't level this up yourself, did you? No, but it looked to me like they had been built using like the the simple sub like the simplest expressions of the subclasses. Yeah, I, I think uh, that was sort of one of those cases where it's like, okay, there are monster abilities that are basically drawn yeah. right from the classes, and I think that's cool. But I think if we just they would, I mean, they just look like third level fighters. They had action surge, Could be, and yeah, they, yeah. the um, the, I wasn't looking over your notes. Okay basically. We're in the packet. <laughs> but the other thing I think too is uh, this was not like our goal, but it was a secondary goal, was that the spell casting was also very easy to handle with an NPC. We did have to look up a couple of spells, and so I think better communication of what the spells do in the stat block yeah, might be do. more beneficial. But it was nice that since you have spells prepared, but then you can spend spell slots anywhere, yeah. there were spells like um, prayer and silence that had been precast. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, the cleric was just using her spells to heal herself in a command. Right. right. The um, it was just pretty easy just to tick those off. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, the, this is where the, the concentration rule is very handy. Oh, she may have been cheating by casting prayer and silence at once because those might be concentration spells. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I, maybe I didn't cast prayer. No, I don't think I cast prayer because I ended up using a third those spell to heal. Anyways, Anyways, the um, it's basically since with concentration, it's one buff at a time. Yeah. Your NPC casters aren't loading themselves up with tons of buffs. They're getting yeah. one, and then the rest of the spells like. For this NPC cleric, she she cast command and then and then um, healing word again and again. Yeah. So and that actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah I, I I thought that she was uh, relatively challenging. She didn't really have to do a lot directly to us. Yeah. She had her minions, but basically she could stand back, cast spiritual weapon, and basically reap the benefits of having that go off every round yeah. without having to, you know, really hit us that hard because I like we were in trouble if yeah. if things had gone slightly differently. That that could have been very bad, and you know. If I had been slightly tactically smarter, that might have not gone quite yeah. as, as challenging as it was. So, I mean, player decisions matter. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, so it's a little up in the air if we'll do a session this um, Friday because I guess it's not clear with the scheduling. Um, we are going to do one? Okay, I'm getting a thumbs up. We are definitely going to do one. I, so. think, I think we're doing a board game one. Oh, okay. We are doing a board game one? Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes it easy. Yeah, because then we have, wow, Gen Con's coming right Gen up. Con's right around the corner. It always comes much closer. It's not. Yeah. So next, it's, there's this week, then next week, then Gen Con, or is it three weeks till Gen I Con? I think there's three weeks. But okay. anyways, this is scintillating radio that our fans yeah, want to listen right. to. <laughs> well, you know, they get to hear what's coming out. Sure. So anyways, thanks for joining us, and we'll you'll be seeing us live streamed on Friday playing a nifty board game. That's right. All right take it easy and keep gaming.